Well, back in July of 2018, when I was the youth pastor here, we took roughly 20 students of ours down to Mexico for a missions trip. Now, one thing to know as a youth pastor, if you ever want to go into youth ministry, which I don't think many of you do, uh, but when you go on international trips, especially with 20 students and a handful of leaders, what you have to do is a year ahead of time, you have to plan every single moment of every single day. Because when you're taking 20 students on a trip who are not your children, you are ultimately responsible. So every day for about a year, I am planning out every intricate detail of this trip. And what I'm knowing, because I went to Mexico back in 2016 on my first trip, is that things are going to go poorly. Doesn't matter what you plan for, things are going to go poorly. But we're day three into this trip. We had gone down to San Diego, did some fun stuff on the beach. We crossed uh, the border in Tijuana, which is a safe little quaint little Mexican town. Very uh, great place to cross. I'm kidding. Um, but we crossed down. Everything was going great. And we get to our camp where we're going to serve for the week. We're helping build a church. We're doing VBS for, for young kids in Mexico. And everything is going amazing. And I'm like, who planned this trip? I planned this trip. I did. I'm kidding. But I was getting a little prideful, like, man, this is actually going a little, this is going pretty well. But on day three of being at the camp, I wake up and I'm getting ready for breakfast. I walk out of my little cabin and one of our students is sleeping on the ground on the sidewalk. And what you learn as a youth pastor is you're dealing with teenagers. And it was one of those things where it's like when you're a parent, right? Big problems, little problems. I'm like, ah, whatever. You know, probably just nothing. Todd snores. He's probably fine. But then I look over my shoulder because I'm wondering, are the girls awake? I look over my shoulder and I see about 12 of our girls sleeping on the sidewalk. And I'm thinking, oh no. Okay, something's seriously wrong. And I pause and I turn around and our bass player up here, his daughter, gets up throws up all over the sidewalk. And I'm like, no, <laughs> something bad is happening. It turns out that that day, 17 of our 20 students got like this 24 hour stomach bug and all but one of our leaders had the same thing. The camp did not smell great that day. I'll just be very clear. We went through a lot of Lysol wipes, a lot of spray, but to this day, that is one of the top three moments that I've ever had or top three trips. I will say that I've ever had as the youth pastor here back when I was a youth pastor. And here's why. Besides all the, the throwing up and all the sickness that came along with the trip, we had dozens of little kids from Mexico give their lives to Jesus for the first time. Not only that, but eight of our 17 or 20 of our students got baptized on that trip. They made the decision. They had seen God move in so many ways that they wanted to make the decision to go public with their faith, and they got baptized. So I got to baptize eight of our students in the Pacific Ocean in just this amazing moment, and we had a photographer there, and so we got to print off the pictures. I was able to send them a letter uh, with each of their pictures and say, God is doing amazing things in your life. To this day, I look back on that, and I still praise God, and I think, this is what I get to be a part of. All of the craziness that I had as the youth pastor— that was what I got to be a part of, life transformation. It was amazing, and it was beautiful. And that's the question that I want to finish off our Body Shop series with today. As we're talking about volunteering and serving in God's kingdom and in his church, I want to ask you, do you realize what you get to be a part of? It isn't just showing up for church on Sundays. It isn't just showing up for Hope Kids on Sundays or youth group on Wednesday nights. It is that, but it's so much more. You are connected to the eternal salvation of people right here in Isani County. That's an amazing, amazing thing. So to close this series, I want to go through John chapter 8. If you have your Bible, go ahead and go to John chapter 8. We're going to go through verses 1 through 11. If you don't have it, it'll be up on the screen for you as well. 
But I'm just going to warn you too, as I read this story, you know, we're in this series talking about volunteering and serving in God's kingdom. This story kind of seems like it's going to come out of left field, okay? It's going to seem like, where is he going with this? But I promise you, I've, I've been very encouraged by this passage, and I think that this is a great way to end the series. So here's what it says. It says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought in this woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write down right on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, because they're the wise ones. Then the younger ones, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has nobody condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now what's happening in this story is Jesus, he has become a very controversial religious leader. And here's why. So we have two groups of people in this story. There's Jesus and the woman, and also these religious leaders, the Pharisees. These Pharisees, somebody got a text. These Pharisees are very into God's Old Testament law. They are the religious leaders of the day who they go through the Old Testament and they follow every law to the letter. They do their absolute best. They try their absolute hardest. And they are so full of pride because they think that they do such a great job following the law that they make everybody else follow the law exactly how I, how they do. And if they don't do it perfectly, then they get punished. Now, they were so prideful that not only did they follow God's laws to every letter and they did their best to do that, but they were so prideful that they even added their own laws to God's laws in a way saying that God's laws aren't enough. Now, I want to be very clear here, because I think that there's a a new culture around Christianity. Old Testament law, Old Testament religion, isn't a bad thing. It was given by God to the Jewish people to follow him in a way that they could glorify him in light of their sins. So the Old Testament law is a good thing. It was God's system. But now that Jesus has come, he said, I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill the law. So now us as Christians, we're Gentile Christians living in America in 2022. We don't follow Old Testament law because we have Jesus. He went to the cross. Everything was fulfilled. Bam. Now we live under the law of grace, not the law of good works. So we're saved by our grace, not what we do. But the Pharisees, they hated the fact that Jesus was coming in and he was upsetting their whole system. They had this Old Testament law in place. They added their own laws. But here comes Jesus saying, I am the son of God. Now he's saving people. He's healing people. And here's the key. He's not using Old Testament law to do it. He's using his authority as the son of God to give grace and mercy to sinners. And so the Pharisees hate this. So he's becoming controversial. The Pharisees can't stand it. And essentially what's happening with the Pharisees is that the law has become their God instead of God being God. 
And so they bring this woman who was caught in adultery to Jesus. And they say, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses says, stone such women. Now, what do you say? Now, if you, don't, if you aren't familiar with stoning, stoning is where you send somebody to the edge of a cliff and you throw rocks at them either until they die or they decide to jump. So it's a very cruel punishment. But they ask Jesus this because they want to know where does he stand when it comes to adultery and the law and the outcome of that. Now, the first point that I want to make here is they bring in a woman caught in adultery. What do we know about adultery? Takes two to tango, right? So where's the man? That's the question I want to ask. Where is the man? Well, if we understand the cultural context of how they were living back in this day, women were seen, and I want to be very clear, this is not the correct view, okay? But women were seen more or less as property. They were the ones that they would stay in the home and only in the home. They actually couldn't talk to a man in public in certain places, so women were not viewed very highly. And, and this is the culture that even America was founded on. I mean, women could not vote until 1920, right? So women have not always had the greatest cultural representation, but even more so in the culture of Jesus and the Pharisees. But what I want us to hear in this is that not only are the Pharisees judgmental and condemnational, but they're so ingrained into the culture that they don't even realize that their system and the way that they're living isn't biblical, it's cultural. And so they decide to let the man go free, but let's publicly shame this woman. In other words, they think that this woman is full of sin, and she is, right? Caught in the act of adultery, and yet all of a sudden the Pharisee's sin is being brought to light. And so what we have to see in this story is that right away, we understand that this woman is, is sinful, yes, but these Pharisees, pride continues to just ooze out of them. And sooner or later, they're going to be the ones who are, who are condemned. But they bring out this woman, and they use this question as an opportunity to trap Jesus. So here's the predicament that Jesus is in. They say, well, by the law, if you're the son of God, you should follow the law. And the law says in Moses, what he says in the Old Testament, he says, people who are caught in adultery should be stoned. So Jesus has a predicament here. Either he follows the law according to the Pharisees, and he takes out a cruel and unusual punishment, or he gives this woman grace, and now he has sinned in light of the law, or at least it seems like he has sinned in light of the law, and the whole crowd is going to turn on him. So what does Jesus do in this moment? He does what any single one of us would do if we're in a predicament like this. He bends down, and he writes in the sand. Like you do, right? That's <laughs> always whenever my wife and I are getting in an argument, I just bend down and I write in the sand. Now, we don't know what Jesus is writing in the sand. It, it's honestly not that important because it doesn't tell us. But what's more important is what Jesus is about to say. Jesus says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, this phrase gets used and abused all the time. I want us to know right now that I think we have this culture around not only Christianity, but just the modern culture that we live in that's all about we don't judge, only God is the judge, which is true, but we never want to judge anybody. We never want to judge anything. We just want to let people do their thing. We'll do our thing. Now, to a point, that's good, right? We don't want to be ones who are throwing stones at people because we are full of sin ourselves. So let's not sinfully judge people, although this is the point I want to make. We do have to make judgment calls in life. I mean, ask yourself that if this, if, if you're somebody who says that you don't judge people, which I'm not going to stand up here and say that I don't, 
I'll just get straight to the point. How do you feel about people who voted for Joe Biden? How do you feel about people who voted for Donald Trump? For some of us, it's no big deal. But for some of us, we're internally already been like, oh, you know, <laughs> I don't judge people unless, right? We get like that all the time. We're the ones that, you know, we look at the Pharisees and say, we would never be like the Pharisees, but how easy is it for us to become just like the Pharisees? Now, there are moments in life where we do have to judge, but we have to be careful not to judge from sinful motives, but to judge from pure motives and righteous moments. Like, I'm a parent. I have a four-year-old who just finished her first year of preschool. She's going into another year next year. If I walked her into preschool the first day, and her teacher, which let's pretend I've never met her before, or him, let's just say, Let's imagine he was just a normal looking guy, but he had a trench coat on with uh, some satanic symbols just all over him. What would I do? Oh, I don't judge. Go ahead. Take my kid. No, I would make a judgment call in that moment. So we have to understand that there are right times to judge, but there are also wrong times to judge. And the Pharisees are caught in this moment where their hearts are full of sin and full of pride, and they want to publicly shame this woman. And they're doing this in order to trap Jesus. There is sin all over the situation. And so Jesus says, let any one of you who is without sin cast the first stone. Now, historians and theologians, they have tried to guess what Jesus might have bent down and written in the sand. And some people have said that it's the names of the Pharisees who came to judge the woman that day. And essentially what Jesus is doing is he's writing down each and every one of their names and he's sort of giving them a sign that I'm writing down your name so I remember who you are and it's not going to end well for you on judgment day. That's one of the opinions. There's also another opinion that Jesus is writing down the sins of the Pharisees, that while they bring this woman caught in adultery into public, this is Jesus' way of publicly calling out their sin, that he's saying, well, how did this happen? Now, in Mosaic Law, which they're referring to, this is where it gets really interesting. In Mosaic Law, when it comes to adultery and stoning, there has to be two witnesses not that know that this woman and man had an affair. They have to see the affair. Now, I want to ask you a question. What are the odds that at the same time that the Pharisees know that Jesus is coming into town, that multiple Pharisees catch a woman in adultery? I want you to know this. It's not they heard she had an affair. It says she was caught in the act. So what are the odds that the Pharisees multiple Pharisees walk in on this couple and also at the same time Jesus is coming to town? It's not very likely. And so what Jesus could be doing is he could be bending down and writing in the sand, you set up a situation into which a, a vulnerable woman will be put into a situation where she would sin. I don't know what the situation actually looks like. None of us do. It's not recorded in the Bible. But Jesus is essentially writing down their sins. And this is a moment that the Pharisees are exposed for who they are their pride and their sin, while they brought this woman into public shaming, now they're the ones being publicly called out for their sin. And so one by one, the Bible says the oldest ones walked away first, and then the youngest ones, young people in the room, take note of that, be wise. <laughs> when your sin is called out, just accept it and walk away. But they walk away. And this is where the story turns. Now it's just this woman standing before Jesus. And yes, the Pharisees are gone, so the judgmental ones are gone, but could you imagine standing before Jesus and he knows what you've just done? 
Because let's, let's be honest, the Pharisees are the bad people in the story, but we have to be real in that adultery is still a sin, and this woman is still full of sin. She's been caught in the act. It, part of it is her fault, even though she probably has been set up. Part of it could be her fault. And so she's standing before Jesus, full of guilt and full of shame. Imagine you being in her shoes. I mean, think of some of the sins that maybe you've committed over the past week. Imagine Jesus was in the room when you publicly berated your kids. Or imagine Jesus could hear the little mumblings as you dropped 50 F-bombs as you walked away from your boss because you didn't like what he said. Imagine Jesus could hear those things. Imagine some of the struggles that you've struggled with this week, some of the sins that you've committed this week, and Jesus, they were face-to-face with Jesus. You would feel the weight of your guilt and the weight of your shame. But here's where the story turns amazing. Jesus straightened up, and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Where are the Pharisees? Has nobody condemned you? And she said, nobody. And so Jesus responds, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is a moment of divine grace. Because yes, this woman is caught in adultery. And yet Jesus doesn't offer her condemnation and more guilt and more shame. He doesn't say, do these good works, take your communion, go get baptized, do all these things, and then finally you will be forgiven. No, it's in this moment Jesus leaves this woman with, go now and leave your life of sin. It's a very direct way of saying, I am freeing you from your sins in this moment. There's no more guilt, no more shame. You are free now to be the new creation that the Apostle Paul talks about. When we get saved, we become new. We're free from the sin. We're free from the old life we were living. And this woman has just experienced that firsthand in front of Jesus. And so here's what I want to propose. As we talk about volunteering and getting involved, serving in God's kingdom, serving in the church, we can be a church like the Pharisees that's full of judgment, full of condemnation, and doesn't look anything like we should, and that we're, we're closed off to outside people. If anybody doesn't look the part, they don't dress a certain way, if we know that they struggle with certain sins and we just close our doors, they're not welcome. We can be like that, or we can take the route of Jesus, and we can be a church that is serious about sin, but full of grace for any single one of us to walk into, be welcome, and have our lives transformed. And when I read this story, that's the church that I want to be. And over the past year, we have had roughly 50 people or so take the step to go and sin no more right here at New Hope. We have had roughly 50 people give their lives to Jesus and see their lives transformed. About 25 of them took the step to be baptized, most of which came from our youth ministry which is amazing to see young people giving their lives to Jesus. We have seen God's work firsthand, not only this year, but throughout the whole history of New Hope. And so I want to ask you the question again, do you realize what you get to be a part of? You are connected to people's eternal salvation. You get to see people go and sin no more. You get to see people who are full of guilt, full of sin, walk out of our doors and be free because they have met Jesus and now their life is different. And so as we talk about getting involved with serving, I want to encourage you that it is not just about showing up on Sundays and just clocking in, punching in, punching out. What you're doing matters in an eternal way. 
It makes a difference in kids and adults' lives. Every single Sunday, every single Wednesday at youth group, every single Thursday night at recovery, we have so many things going on here and in our community because we want to see life transformation happen and we see it almost every single week. And that's what we get to be a part of. There's so many moments that I can think of in my history here, my last seven years here at New Hope that You know, ministry can be a grind. Like any job, it can be a grind. But then there's moments where we see God work firsthand as tangible presence and life transformations. Like, this is why we do what we do. And so I want to encourage you one last time as we end our series today called Body Shop. If you haven't taken the step to check out our tables of where a a good place for you to volunteer, either in the church or outside of the churches, I want to encourage you to take that step. But I also want to go back to the story for just a moment. Because this is one of those stories in the Bible that that I consistently come back to because I'm one of those people who's felt the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And it's changed my life. But I also know for a fact that some of you sitting here probably haven't felt that before. You might be sitting here today and you're not a Christian. And I want you to know that we're not a church of Pharisees. At least we don't try to be, although we're sinful people. We're imperfect. But this is a moment for you to experience the love and the grace of Jesus as well. I'm just going to be very blunt with it. If you're not a Christian today, the people sitting around you, they have something that you don't have. That's eternal life with Jesus. It's freedom from sin. It's this fresh new start. Experiencing the grace of God and the presence of God daily. And if you're ready for that, here's what it looks like. It's admitting the fact that you're a sinner. Now, most people, including myself, I fall into this trap. We just assume, I'm a pretty good person. Why, why do I need a savior? I haven't murdered anybody. Good job. <laughs> it's a pretty low bar. <laughs> but how many of us have lied? How many of us have cheated? How many of us have sinfully yelled at our kids or yelled at our spouses? Not me. How many of you? I'm kidding. (laughs) Every single one of us is sinful and guilty before God. But here's what Jesus did for us. He doesn't say, here's all the laws that you have to follow. Here's now, now you have to be perfect and you have to take communion every Sunday and you got to get baptized when you're a baby and then you got to baptize when you're a kid and you got to go through all these religious works. That's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is confessing your sins to him and receiving his grace, admitting that you are a sinner and you cannot save yourself. You don't have enough good works. You sin too much that you wouldn't be able to do enough good things. So you can't save yourself. You need the body and the blood of Jesus as a sacrifice on the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, the book of Romans said that he, he paid the wages of our sin, which was death. Jesus died for us. He paid your wage. And then three days later, he resurrected to show his power over sin, hell, and the grave. He rose from the dead so that you and me, when we accept that grace from God, when we believe in him as our savior, we put our faith in him. Now we spiritually resurrect. Sin makes us dead spiritually, but Jesus's death and resurrection makes us alive spiritually. Now, the guilt and the shame and the weight of our sins is no longer on us. We're still going to sin every day because we're imperfect and we're human, but the grace of God covers us every day. And if you're ready to put your faith in Jesus and not yourself, 
I want to give you that opportunity. And so I just want you to say this prayer with me. And, and this prayer doesn't have any special holy water or anything like that in it. It's just words. But when we mean it with our hearts, that's when God's grace and his forgiveness pours over us. And we have the grace of God, the tangible presence of God in our life every single day. And so you can pray this out loud. You can pray this silently in your head by yourself. doesn't matter whatever you're comfortable with, but I want you to pray with me. If you want to become a Christian today and experience what this woman caught in adultery experienced, the life of go and sin no more. Let's pray. God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I have lived a life full of sin and that I cannot save myself. I am lost broken, and sinful without you. But I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life, died for my sins, and rose from the dead so that I might rise from my sins. I ask you now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to forgive me of my sins. Change my heart and help me live my life devoted to you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, or maybe you're, in a sense, rededicating your life today, I want you to grab the connection card that's in the seat pocket in front of you. Write your name on it with either your phone or your email. And then at the top, just write yes and circle it and drop it in our giving box on your way out the door today. But I want you to know that what you did today with that decision and that prayer is the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. It's the most important decision. And for all of us who are already believers, we're already Christians, maybe you've been serving, maybe you haven't, or whatever, this is what you get to be a part of. Life transformation of people entering into God's kingdom, being saved and transformed by him. So with that, let's close in prayer. And then we got one more worship song for you. God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, when I think of the woman caught in adultery, I think that's me because I'm full of sin and I'm full of ego. I'm full of everything. But Lord, because of your sacrifice on the cross and because of your great love for me and for everybody else, Lord, we can walk free from our sins. And so I pray today, Lord, that we are reminded of that. Even if we're already Christians, Lord, may that be our source of strength, that we're not trying to work hard. We're not trying to just do good things all the time to earn your love. But God, you have given us your love freely because you love us and you care for us. So Father, may that be our, our strength and our grace today, that may, we may walk out of here knowing that we are free from sin, that we can go and sin no more because of who you are and what you did for us. God, we love you, and this is the reason today why we are closing in worship. God, we want to worship you with everything that we have. It's in your name I pray. Amen.